0: welcome back everyone it's great to be with you again ed harold your life with breath expert series leader and on the podcast we talk about health and wellness exercise performance organizational performance and mental health today we're joined by jonathan ross who's a who's a great man who i met in uh telluride a few years back and he was presenting and i was presenting And I was really struck by his authenticity and how he was able to present something outside of the traditional box of exercise that I thought was so important in regard to improving mental health, raising emotional intelligence, having more fun in the exercise paradigm so it's not always competitive. So Jonathan, welcome, and I'm just really excited to share a conversation with you.
1: Thank you, and uh, hello everyone, and thank you for inviting me to participate in this and have this conversation with you. I love having stimulating conversations with uh,
0: curious minds, and that's what yours is as well. Yeah, so Jonathan's an American treasure, and we get a chance to share an afternoon with him. So before we begin, let's just take a moment to just straighten your spine, close your eyes if you can, plant your feet firmly down onto the earth, And what does that feel like, to plant your feet down on the earth? And do you notice that one foot might be a little heavier or more grounded than the other? One foot feels unplugged. Try to get both of your feet 50-50. And then once you have that, make a connection with your breath. Relax your eyes and jaw. And begin to focus. Internally, on whatever's on your mind right now, because it's there for a reason. It's not an accident. Just feeling comfortable inside your body. And what's your level of focus? Notice the breath. It can be voluntary. It can be involuntary. What is your level of gratitude for being yourself? And where there isn't gratitude, can you forgive yourself or others? And how does exercise play a role in processing in the brain, in the body? And as you begin to slow your breath down, and there's a felt sense of who we might really be, not who we pretend to be. If we don't find a little more self-esteem, a little more humility, a little more self-confidence. And when you listen to Jonathan, I invite you to listen to him with your whole body, not just your ears. Ah, thank you so much. Thanks for indulging me in that moment of meditation so jonathan let's just dive right in let's just swing for the fences what's exercise and how does exercise influence our reality
1: well exercise is in strict terms it's really simple it's physical activity that's done at a high enough intensity that will create physical change in the body it's essentially presenting enough challenge that your body will get a little bit of a, whoa, I need to get better at doing this thing if I see it again. And so physical activity is what we do as humans in general, and and we're at lower levels of physical activity. We're not really exercising, although that has value as well. Mm -hmm. But then when we exercise, we've actually crossed into a threshold where we're either presenting a challenge aerobically, or to our muscular system in some capacity. And as a result, our body will respond by getting better and adapting to that stimulus in the future. So it has to cross that threshold to qualify as exercise. So there's physical activity of all sorts, but once we've crossed that threshold where we're presenting a challenge that stimulates change, we've got exercise happening.
0: That's beautiful. What a great definition and so precise. You know, when we think about exercise, it's, it's an internal thing. And we're, we're moving our bodies around against space. Uh, how can exercise help us outside of the fitness arena? How, how can exercise help us say in conflict resolution, or I have a problem with someone at work, or you know, tr- these traffic jams are really stressing me out. How can exercise help us have a more congruent conversation with ourselves internally when we're triggered?
1: Well, there's kind of a multi-part answer to that. And I'll start yeah. by by saying that uh, there are varying degrees of, of how much people enjoy physical activity. And it's important when you hear me talk about this to, to distinguish between physical activity and exercise, because I in my original definition to your first question, I kind of made a distinction between those two for for a reason in in that we don't need to be exercising all the time, but we do need to be moving regularly. And then when we are exercising, what happens in terms of of a stress response, we have a physiology and a system that is designed to respond to threats which for most of human history were mostly physical in nature. Mm -hmm. meaning we would have to run away from a foe that was trying to attack us and kill us or get away from a predator or chase prey that we were trying to eat to survive or uh, to run away from a flood that was happening. It It was a pretty rough days in early human history. So most of our threats were physical. However, now we live in a relatively safe society from a physical threat perspective, so much so that our, our stress response system is still designed to produce a physical response to stress, but now we're worried about if we're going to have enough money for retirement or how we're going to mm-hmm. pay for our kids' college mm-hmm. or, or any other number of psychological stressors. And we're activating the stress machinery in our bodies that's that's gearing us up for action. But we often don't. We just squeeze the steering wheel to death when we're stuck in traffic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so exercise can provide an outlet for that. So it, it can provide a meaningful outlet to get rid of the stress response in the body and use it productively. But then Back to what I said about there's varying degrees of whether people like physical activity or not, because when we're stressed or when we're having a conflict with someone at work or any of those things that you highlighted, the likelihood that we're going to pursue exercise is lower if we have a negative mindset surrounding it. Mm -hmm. And there'll be people that say, oh, exercise just doesn't work for me. And that's a learned response. So the easy way to understand uh, how exercise and physical activity work for humans is that there's varying degrees of how much we enjoy it. Some people enjoy it more, some people enjoy it less, but nobody enjoys it zero because there's no fish that are born that hate water.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: They need it to survive. We have a physiology that is dependent on regular physical activity because that physical activity, and notice I'm distinguishing between physical activity and exercise again, that regular physical activity that we get sets off a whole host of maintenance system, um, sort of machinations in the body. Our our body Mm -hmm. goes into this this process of maintaining itself if we're moving all the time. And that's one of our, our, our big transitions that we see. If you're not fit and you're not exercising and you start, it's not enjoyable yet. It may never be fully enjoyable, but it becomes more so as your body adapts you begin to feel better doing it. And that's one thing that will happen is that if we always just get up and move, again, physical activity, yes, exercise if you're feeling up for it, but if you get up and move, if you're dealing with life's stresses, if you think about any time you've done something so simple as play with your dog, kick a soccer ball around with your kid or your neighborhood kids, or just go for a walk, just be outside, just move your body, you never feel worse afterwards. You always feel better because that's what our body is designed to do. And and more specifically, the last part of the answer here is it gives you a sense of control over your physical world because you're moving through space, you're controlling your body, and it gives you a sense of control of you on this earth in a very subtle way. But it reminds us that we're physical creatures, we're designed to move, and if we go ahead and do it, we'll typically feel a little bit better, a little more hopeful, or like that problem that we have to solve is a little more solvable.
0: What a great answer. And, you you know, you painted a broad brush in a very beautiful way and distinction. You know, when we think about exercise, we think about all the fundamental basics, frequency, intensity, duration. You know, that's just the landmarks of how it all came to us. How much do you do it? How long do you do it? How hard do you do it? You know, and when I look at the programs that you've created, you know, they're not as linear as most of the big programs we see uh, in the world, where you kind of give people permission, like your shirt says, fun-tensity. Can you explain a little bit about how you created that amazing program to keep people healthy, happy, and, and compassionate? Sure, and the
1: idea is, is quite simple, but it took me a long time to sort of crystallize it in a way that was meaningful. And it, it really starts a long time ago when I was little, I had very unhealthy parents. My father was um, 424 wow. pounds. He was mm. almost he was almost 200 kilos for for any um, sort of uh, metric system people that might be listening. And he died in 1995. But I grew up very active, but I never exercised. I was always having squirt gun fights, running through spr- sprinklers, climbing trees, playing tags, snowball fights, sledding, king of the hill, just you name it. We built snow forts. I live in a place where there's all four seasons. So I did all that stuff. And that was... For me, that was, a, that, that was my happy place. Not that I liked being inside my house with my parents, but running around and playing with my friends in the neighborhood, that's when I was happiest. And I realized that for many people, they never had that, or it's been a very long time since they've had it. And then we grow up, we get older, and we start to think about, oh, I have to exercise because I need to take care of myself. And it becomes this discreet thing that we have to carve out time for. Mm-hmm. And I empathize with people because the people who struggle to exercise are normal because we are, again, back to our physiology, we have a massive environment physiology mismatch. Our organism, the human organism is, is, is terribly mismatched for the world that we live in today. We have, through technological innovation, engineered the need for regular movement out of our day. So now we have to carve out extra time set aside to go do just that in a gym or a studio or in our basement if we have a workout space. And then we stop and then we don't think about moving much. So it's this discrete boundary. It's this thing we stick in our day. We start, we stop it, and we don't do it again. And play and movement are meant to be regular, just sort of in and out. And it's just meant to be weaved into your day on a regular basis. And that's really the, I guess, the emotional spirit or the spirit animal of intensity was Having worked in fitness now for 26 years and and seeing how people struggle with it and understanding that it really shouldn't be that hard for them. But what we're selling them as the traditional approach to fitness doesn't make sense for the human organism because survival is a calorically uh, costly Mm -hmm. endeavor for most of human history because we had to hunt and gather. Mm -hmm. Now it's not. And but we have that same physiology there that says conserve energy unless you need it. So the idea that I'm going to pick up something heavy, put it down and pick it up and put it down over and over again without that being connected to survival tells our brain on a subconscious level to have us stop doing that. So people who struggle to exercise, I think, are normal. But Mm -hmm. when you put someone in a state of play and fun, what's one big characteristic when you know you're having fun? The old saying time flies when you're having fun. Right. You lose sense of time. You're not watching the clock waiting for the workout to be over. And so for me, uh, thinking back to my childhood experiences of play and fun and just and, and interacting with people, that's another big connection of making physical activity enjoyable and, and sort of a foundation of intensity is doing it in the presence of others it is is that we're trying to make exercise, which is, again, a physical challenge that is hard enough to stimulate change in your body. But we also want to keep you in an an emotional and mental state of fun and playfulness and a sense of openness and a sense of, Mm -hmm. of connectivity to your surroundings and to the people you are surrounded by so that it's not this thing that we just go do and turn it on then turn it off. And then we put it aside. It's this, it's this integral part of the human experience in that play when it's energetic and physical can be challenging enough to classify as exercise, but it keeps you in an emotional state of fun and playfulness. So it, 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 it keeps you from having it in that, category of a chore and another thing to be checked off of your to-do list. And this works wonders for people who are turned off by the traditional approach to exercise. And I'll just sort of summarize Mm -hmm. my my concept behind it. it, It's firstly based in a, a fair amount of brain science, just understanding that when we're training the body integrated with reactivity and different things that are using our brains to problem solve when we move, we have a more sort of lose yourself in the moment experience. But the the more important thing that happens is you're not thinking about the intensity. It just kind of happens as a byproduct of what you're doing. So it it becomes easier. It becomes easier to work harder because you don't have to force yourself to work harder and drag yourself kicking and screaming towards working harder. If the nature of the activity that you're doing demands certain activities, like if you're playing tag and you're, you, and you're trying to tag (laughs) someone because you're it. So they're it now. You're gonna run as hard as you can. You're not tracking your heart rate. And if you get to base, you're holding onto the tree and you're taking your breath and you're, you're not worried about how hard you're exercising. And I'm certainly not suggesting that all adults just go play tag. But the goal there is to put you in some of that same emotional space. So we take something that is challenging enough to be exercised and we transform how it feels emotionally
0: and then it gets easier for you to stick with it. So needed. You know, and I'm really hearing a lot here about how, you know, this kind of mind body connection uh, is going to be amplified and helped when we take the, the competition out of it, when we take the judgment out of it, when we take the scoreboard out, you know, there's there's organizing principles in the body. It has an organizing principle. It's organized. And some of the things that I think that you're bringing to the table through funtensity, this kind of functional movement, it's so healthy for our joints. It's so healthy for our organs. And we're not getting a lot of the debilitating orthopedic stuff that we see in a lot of the no pain, no gain. Yeah,
1: it's not highly repetitive in any single direction. It's much like play. It's meant to be multidirectional. And I do focus on just training a number of different movements. And we train a number of different directions. It kind of makes you ready for whatever life might throw at you. And again, this isn't to say, I just want anybody listen to be clear. There's nothing wrong with with traditional exercise. It's all valuable. But there's some people that will never do that. And my contention, having, again, worked in fitness for 26 years, uh, the fitness industry to me is like a shoe store that sells the world's Highest quality shoes. We have the best brands, but we only sell it in one size. Mm-hmm. So we sell size seven and you're a size whatever that's not seven. We can't serve you. So for that 10 to 20% of the population that is really geared up for traditional workouts, and I do some, I do that sometimes myself, sure, have at it. But if we keep acting like a single size shoe is going to fit the entire world, it's never going to work because it's not speaking to people emotionally and they will go towards things that draw them in, they won't go towards things that feel like an obligation and a chore and have a sense of drudgery surrounding them. If we want it to happen uh, regularly in terms of exercise and multiple times a day, in terms of just a little bursts of physical activity to get us moving, we need to make it more appealing or at least less unappealing, if nothing else.
0: Well, the last time I saw one of your classes, Dan, and tell you right, it reminded me of, uh, <clears throat> let's just say, it was a class where, where everyone could play. There was something there for everyone, regardless if your shape was round. I mean, that's a shape too. And I, you know, I think that's the genius of what you bring is you're creating uh, a dynamic where everyone's welcomed. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. It doesn't matter your cardiovascular strength, how much you can bench press, whether you can stretch, you know, the bottom line is, is you can breathe. And you can follow what John is Jonathan's teaching you, and you open yourself up to that inner child. It's just
1: genius. Well, thank you. And and just so everyone listening, you're probably wondering like, what is this? And I just to uh, give you a, a really basic. I'll give you two movement examples that we could do. Where and if you're listening to this and you have the ability to do this, we'll go ahead and do it. So let's say you were going to squat. You'll sit down, stand up again, put out your left or your right arm. You can do that at the top, just raise your arm out to the side, but we could do it where we make it a game where I I call out an odd or even number and we make odd left and even right, and then you raise the appropriate arm based on the number I would call out as an instructor. That just makes it a little bit fun where if I go seven, four, 112, 3,486 you know you kind of kind of gets fun and you're negative two still a, still an even number but it freaks people out when you go with a negative number but it puts smiles on their faces because it's a little silly you're not always using single digit numbers and then a second example is i i do use traditional equipment like kettlebells and medicine balls and ropes but i also use some stuff that's non-traditional like balloons not so much in telluride because we're outdoors and we're getting uh, some mountain wind there But uh, things like rubber chickens, uh, take a rubber chicken, have someone put it on their feet they use their feet to throw it by hopping and throwing it with their feet to the partner. And the partner catches it with their hands, puts it on their feet and throws it back. Yes, I made it up. Of course, I made it up. It's a completely ridiculous exercise. But that's kind of the point is you're not you're not doing something traditional. and Everybody thinks it's silly and ridiculous and has fun and smiles. And then when they stop, this is the key part. When they stop, that's when they realize how hard they're working. It's only when they stop, they go, oh, they were caught up in the fun, caught up in the exercise itself, but it wasn't until they stopped doing the thing because the thing they were doing was so engaging. It wasn't until they stopped that they noticed the intensity. And that's where the idea behind a lot of my work now, both in intensity workouts and also just with my clients one-on-one is that I want them to just do something and be so engaged in it or so focused on it that they're not aware necessarily, acutely aware of how hard they're working. It's only when you stop, you might notice how hard you're working because you're lost in the experience. And it's really driven by uh, how we're meant to move. We're not, you know, because I always think back, like, what have we done for most of human history? And if we look at hunter gatherers, they weren't assessing their heart rate while they were and they're jogging after some prey. It wasn't like that's not, that's not how exercise is. And um, I'll, I'll just add one little counterpoint to this because I know a lot of uh, tech is getting very popular with with tracking our sleep and tracking our heart rate and tracking our glucose and stuff. And, and I'm I'm kind of of two minds of this. I think it's wonderful that we have the ability to track the stuff, mm-hmm. but I don't believe that we need to go around strapping a bunch of devices to ourselves, living in fear of falling outside of whatever parameters that we are. If we live how we're supposed to live, we don't have to track that much. Right. And I, I also want to make fitness and health accessible to more people. And that if we have all this tech that you need to buy and monthly subscriptions to apps, we're actually making fitness sold that way less accessible to people of less significant means and, and I'm not a fan of that. I really want to just sort of equalize it for all. and that's why the foundation is just throwing around silly stuff like balloons and rubber chickens, but also using medicine balls and kettlebells, which is all low- tech stuff, but it, it can be used in a variety of different ways and I just want to make fitness accessible to everybody because again, I grew up in an unhealthy household and and I just had a I had an experience where I see what it's like on a day-to-day basis to live in an unhealthy way. And whatever you think it looks like, it's probably 10 times worse. I've got some some horrifying stories of life with obese parents that I could share. And it's just, uh, I, I want everyone that's, that's heading in that direction or already there to make a U-turn. Because the beautiful thing about our bodies is, the minute we start doing the right things, Uh, If you're 80 years old and you go out in the sun, you're still going to get sunburned. That means your body is -hmm. always stimulated and it's always going to react. It'll always react to the stimulus if it's provided. So at any age, we can always turn it around. You just have to make that U-turn and start going down the other direction on that road. And it's one breath away.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally behind you in regard to the technology. Uh, You know, I think the people who are using the technology shouldn't be using it. And there are people who don't use it that might want to start to use it. (laughs) It, You know, there's a healthy use for it. Absolutely. It kind of takes the fun out of it. You know, most people don't understand what the numbers really mean anyhow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when we live in ourselves and we don't understand the numbers, you know, for me, exercise is a moment where I get out of my head and I get in my body. Absolutely. And I I let the story of my body be the star of the show. And I don't want to be distracted by these emotions. I don't want to be distracted by these visualizations. I don't want to be distracted by these memories. I want to continue to learn and grow. I want to create different boundaries for myself as I age. And the great part about the body is it never, ever, ever lies. It just gives you the rock true north, true story. And, you know, that's a place where I think a lot of us, like for myself, really not applying myself the way I should have In typical education of memorization and repetition, I went to my body to get the truth. My body is where I learned how to have common sense, where I learned how to stay present, where I learned how to pay attention. And it all happened through athletic training and, you know, racing and things like that. That's where I found out the truth about myself. There's things I can do well. There's things I can't do well. Either both are great. And, you know, I want to try to learn one new thing every day. And when I learn one new thing every day, it's okay to forget something that happened in 2001 that has no bearing on Ed in 2023. So, you know, the exercise metaphors. When we go on for days, but, uh, you know, when you think of I'm thinking about the things that you do and I'm thinking about a lot of the systems that we don't hear a lot about in exercise, the vestibular system. You know, spatial awareness, eye movement, balance, coming out of balance, bringing yourself back. I'm thinking about the autonomic nervous system. I'm thinking about, you know, controlling adrenaline release, controlling cortisol release. You know, I'm thinking about our digestive system, you know, how we can kickstart these organs so that we have a ton of energy, but we have a resting heart rate and blood pressure. You know, when you start to do what you're presenting to people. Some of the backup systems that we don't really hear a lot about in, in fitness start to make a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, that, that's very well said. I, uh, I really believe in sort of elevating what would, what you might consider to be the secondary fitness characteristics, things like yes, bal- yes. balance, agility and coordination and things like that. If you, if you think about it, they're, they're often considered secondary fitness characteristics, but they're actually primary because we can't yeah. do do weight training or we can't do cardio or we can't go for a run, Unless we have balance, coordination and agility and reactivity. And so they're actually foundational skills to movement. And we usually only notice them in their absence. If we have something that's compromised, our balance, Mm -hmm. our agility, our coordination, our reactivity, we start to become more consciously aware of them. Other than that, we take it for for granted as a foundational skill. And that ability to just sort of bring them back to the surface, but not also clobber people over the head with it. I just kind of so I when I'm doing and what I mean by that is I'm not like smashing them over the head with all the science and all the stuff that they're training beneath the surface unless they want it. So there's two kinds of people when it comes to, Mm -hmm. you know, there's the people that just tell me what to do. And then there's a people that are uh, I want to know why I'm doing it. So then I'll be more motivated to do it. And I've got good answers for both of those people in terms of you with the approach that we're doing. So for the people that actually want to know what's going on. And especially in the world of fitness, we want to make sure we're doing enough and then never really knowing what that is. So I'll say just two quick things on that is that uh, one, I think if we look at all the characteristics of fitness, we have agility, balance, coordination, endurance, flexibility, strength, power, speed, um, reactivity, I would throw Mm -hmm. in there as well. Uh, you, You could even make a case for mobility. And so if we look at all those things, how do I make sure I'm doing complete fitness? Most people, it's like, oh, I do yoga, or I do running, or I do a little bit of weight training. Or, so there's, mm-hmm. if, if, you're, if you're checking off the box on everything on that list a couple times a week, and most activities will, will check off more than one of those categories. So running would be endurance, it would be reactivity, it would be balance, especially if you're doing something like a trail run versus a mm-hmm. treadmill run. You still have balance and coordination though, it's just more predictable mm-hmm. versus unpredictable. You have a little more reactivity, with something like a trail run. And so there's multiple characteristics even just going for a run. So if you're ticking off everything on that list a couple times a week, you're fine. That's really an easy way, but just think of all the possible uh, fitness characteristics. And if you're listening to this, I know I know this like the back of my hand and I went really fast, so I'll go through them again. It's agility, balance, coordination, endurance, flexibility, strength, speed, and power, uh, reactivity, and then I'll throw in mobility as well. Uh, And then The other thing that I kind of wanted to to add about this is that this this ability to listen to the body is something that often develops over time and staying curious and listening to the body. Most people don't trust it yet. We want to be looking at what what I'm doing. Is it enough? And so the second big point here is that the physical activity guidelines are a hot mess. They really are. Uh, They're terrible. So imagine, and I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. saying they're bad. I'm just saying the messaging is poor. If I wanted to get you to brush your teeth and I said to you, you have to brush your teeth 14 times a week mm-hmm. and you don't like brushing your teeth. You might go, gee, I could do 14 times in a day and then I'm done for the week. So <laughs> why do we give weekly guidelines for something that happens in the time frame of a day? So for example, um, I am, let's see, 654 months old right? You, you don't really put it in those terms, right? Because because we don't frame up numbers this way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's important for us to, to give physical activity recommendations similarly. The, the big government organizations say 150 minutes of moderate per week or 75 minutes of vigorous. Well, what does that mean? And <laughs> for the average person trying to figure out how much to do, they're also not even accurate in terms of what's optimal because, mm-hmm the research shows the more you do, the more benefits you get. So that 10 minutes is not as good as 20. It's not as good as 30, not as good as 40, but they're all good. Right. And so there's no reason to limit people to 21 minutes a day, which is what 150 minutes per week is divided by seven. So you're, you're at about 21 minutes a day. Why limit it to that? If the research shows that more is better because the messaging, they don't want to scare anyone but it's not accurate. And most people I've never, ever, ever given someone in 26 years of fitness a program and they go, "Um, how many minutes per week is this going to get me of exercise? No one's ever said that. And I'm saying this out of empathy for the public who's confused about what to do about guidelines and am I doing enough? And you never feel like you're doing enough. So I'll say that if you're challenging your cardiovascular system to deliver oxygen to your tissues two to three times a week, if you're challenging your muscular system to pick up challenging things and put them down again uh, or move your body weight against gravity in a relatively low number of repetitions like 20 or 25 or under. And you're doing some things that involve multiple directions of movement and reactivity like pickleball or tennis or trail running versus treadmill running uh, and getting some, full range of motion work in to maintain flexibility and mobility, you're probably doing fine. Don't freak out so much about, am I doing enough? And you're always feeling like it's never enough because you don't know what is enough because the messaging on guidelines is poor. So I really hope that's helpful for just having everyone take a nice deep breath and relax and, and know that if you're checking off those boxes of all the list of fitness characteristics a couple times a week, you've got it.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize actually how little you, you need to do to stay healthy. You know, so much of what we do is fear-based. It's not fun-tensity, it's fear-tensity. And <laughs> we're reinforcing these patterns in our brain that then we take outside of the gym in all our other relationships. And the next know, is we're a victim. A victim of what? Our perception that we're projecting. So, you know, the way you lay this thing out really opens the door for folks who don't like the word exercise. You know, if you don't like the word exercise, call it ice cream, you know, you call it whatever you want. But the bottom line is, is this thing needs to move. You need to pay attention to the movement and you need to get your ego out of the way. And that's why Funtensity is so awesome.
1: Thank you, yeah, I had a interesting experience. One of the uh, women that was coming to the class I was teaching regularly at a club for a while. Uh, she said something to me that I'll never forget. It was first time she'd come to the class and she said, that was the most fun I've ever had but I don't think I'm ever coming again. And here's what I was, of course, I gave her a funny look and then you can imagine that sounds like two things that are competing with each other. So I said, uh, what does that mean? Tell me more about what's going on. She said, well, I feel almost nauseous now. She was so caught up in the the fun and the interactivity of the, of the exercise that we were doing. She wasn't self-modulating in terms of how hard she was working. She was just so going for it because she was caught up in the experience And I said, well, that's good. Well, do come back, but just pay a little more attention to what your physiology is telling you. But the power of it was that unlike traditional exercise, which, again, it's not wrong. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying it's not for everyone. That's the size seven shoe that doesn't fit everyone in the population. In her case, she'd never experienced anything that was this engaging and made her want to go for it to that extent while exercising. So she was caught up in it too much and wasn't listening to her physiology. So I encourage her to come back. Just listen to herself. If she needs to slow down on something a little bit, please go ahead. But the beauty of that is that she, she didn't it wasn't me yelling at her to work harder. It wasn't her feeling a sense of obligation or duty or, or uh, need to or shame that she should work harder. It was her own desire to, to more uh, expertly participate in and execute that movement that made her generate her own desire to work that hard to almost make herself sick.
0: <laughs> so it's it pretty beautiful. funny. I mean, th- this is what it's like when you turn on. You almost instantaneously inside a class, you begin to realize that I'm living my life turned off. And Jonathan's creating an environment where I, I've now turned on. And now that I've stopped, great, but I have to go back and turn off. And, you know, why do I need to turn off? I've just, I just hacked myself.
1: Yeah. And there's something I like about what you do as well and in my own way I teach similar concepts but I know you're about breath being used to stimulate but also breath being used to calm and and that's that's a key concept for me is that I want people to have an experience that gets them out of this mental gray space that most people live in most of the time it's mm-hmm. and the way I put it is I want your uptime to be more up and I want your downtime to be more down Right. So let's have good quality restorative downtime. Let's not have half ass downtime where we're looking at our phone. We're not really fully relaxed because we're stressed about what we have to do tomorrow. And then let's make our uptime more up. Let's be fully present for that upness. Let's not be distracted. Let's, let's bring all of our resources to bear in that activity so we can enjoy the feeling of being up, which will then put us in a better state to more more successfully come down. So make
0: your uptime more up, make your downtime more down. Beautiful. So well said. You know, we're wonderful at winding things up. We're difficult at unwinding things. And when we think about just the fundamentals of breathing, we're talking about pressure and depressure. And this happens all day long. How much pressure can you put on your mind and body on this incoming breath, but then also give yourself permission to depressurize, to land the plane, get back into homeostasis. you know, touch the bases and then, you know, go back in the dugout for eight batters.
1: Yeah. And and again, for me, it's 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 having sympathy for humans. So, so I have sympathy for my fellow humans. We're not equipped to live in this world that asks us to be on all the time and we don't have the, f- the physiology that's equipped to deal with it. Can hunter gatherers? Yeah, it was, it's physically demanding, but the research shows they only move about 15% more than we do during the day, Mm -hmm. but that's enough. And they go do something, whatever it is, they go do something and then they sit and take a break, but they, they don't sit and take a break with more stimulus. They sit and take a break and just probably stare and look at clouds and just breathe and look at the birds. They don't, they don't take a break with something that's more stimulating and not fully letting us take a break. And they don't, and they weren't, unwinding with having a cocktail or you know not that those things are bad in context and on occasion but just the the physiology that we have is meant to be up and go do something but then go up and 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 after you're up sit down and daydream and just space out a little bit and and give yourself that break from the need to to constantly have your sensory system stimulated through what you're hearing through what you're seeing through what you're smelling through what you're saying Or just it's constant now. And and out of sympathy for all of us humans, we're just not equipped to deal with this. So we have to consciously step away from it at times during the day or it will overwhelm us.
0: Yeah. You know, we're constantly being taught at a young age that life's all about pleasure. And how do I get this pleasure, you know, regardless of how I get it? And we forget that, you know, half a life is how we deal with conflict or pain or resistance to being seen and heard in a healthy way. So, you know, everything is so inverted right now. And, you know, the brain is constantly searching for pleasure so that you can fit into some place that you've created in your story that is totally your imagination. Yeah, you're right. Well said. You know, let's talk about inflammation. Inflammation. Circulation. Mm -hmm. Oxygenation. The brain. How's how does high levels of inflammation impede our ability to oxygenate and circulate in the body? And then how does that affect what's going on in our brain, Jonathan?
1: Well, it's probably best to look at this, this through the lens of, of chronic low grade inflammation. So that's the that's really the key. And and because that's the most harmful kind mm-hmm. uh, Anything we do that creates a challenge in the body, especially in the context of exercise, you're you're going to have a short-term inflammatory response through sore muscles or things like that, but that's short-term. The body has this reaction, and inflammation is really the immune system dealing with the insult that it just experienced, but it's meant to to get turned on to deal with it, and then it turns off. So it turns on, it turns off. It's not a bad thing. Cortisol is not a bad thing. It's just mm-hmm. all this stuff is natural in us. It's just that we turn, we keep it switched on too much. And through our sort of chronic low-grade stress, again, worrying about our retirement fund and our kids' college and you know how, how am I going to pay for blank and all that, that just keeps us buzzing a little bit with a low-grade stress all the time. And then we add possible sleep deprivation and we add foods that were nothing like what the the human genome has experienced until about 100 years ago, which are edible, but they're not food. And we throw in uh, possibly a lack of physical activity. And those are the four main characteristics that you're going to get to increase low-grade inflammation in your body and set it up to a chronic state.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. We have lack of sleep, unmanaged stress, poor nutrition, and a lack of physical activity. Those four things will put you in a chronic inflammatory state and that's the part that we want to worry about and especially specifically to brain health since if we sprain our ankle we feel it because we have nerve endings in our ankle we don't have any in our brain so when our brain is inflamed at a low grade we don't typically feel it although there's 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 a suboptimal state of functioning in the brain and there's some damage being done we don't we're not consciously aware of it because we don't have the ability to sense those feelings of inflammation in the
0: brain interesting that's so important for uh, for the average person who's listening to this you know get some science about inflammation you know in the short term it's what the body does it's protect- yeah and, yes. and,
1: and even if you don't want to dive into the science because you're stressed and you're already getting not enough sleep and you, you're just stressed about oh, I how am i going to eat healthier just pick one thing to start focusing on just pick one thing on the list it's it's a health is really um it's a it's not a It's not a big thing, health is a small thing. And Mm -hmm. what I saw with my father and what led him to die the way he did, but also in seeing it go the other way with people turn their lives around, and in some cases helping them do that, is that the body you live in is the result of all your small behaviors plus time. Mm -hmm. So it's small behaviors plus time. It's a lot of small behaviors. You're gonna have a lot of small behaviors that make up how you fill up your day then add years and decades. That's the kind of body you're going to live in. Mm-hmm. I can work out today. I can skip tomorrow's workout. I'm not going to look any different tomorrow. It's not going to make a difference. What you do on one day is irrelevant. What you do as a pattern is relevant. So the first thing to do is to start shifting a pattern. And if anyone listening to this is just buried under stress and lack of sleep, poor nutrition, and lack of physical activity, just pick something to do that makes tomorrow better than today was. And just do that again repeatedly without biting off more than you can chew because that's the time the time element is bigger than your behavior so if you have a bunch of small behaviors plus a decade you have massive change but that can go positive or negative depending on what those small behaviors are and i hope that makes sense it's like a formula almost like a mathematical formula where a bunch of small behaviors plus time and if time gets really big then the change gets really big and that can be positive if it's positive behaviors or it can be negative if it's negative behaviors
0: Let's talk a little bit about sleep. It seems like we can't consciously choose sleep because if we could, we'd all be sleeping like a baby. What happens during our day that makes it so difficult for us in 2023 to shut our eyes for eight hours?
1: Well, we don't let ourselves appreciate the natural rhythms, uh, sometimes because our society is. So I don't want to have anyone. The one thing I never want anyone to do from anything I ever say or talk about is to feel like something's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. I I don't want anyone to think that. So there's, we're all trying to figure out life, and we're trying to do it in the context of living in a society that doesn't really by default promote, life and health sustaining behaviors. In fact, many times it does the opposite. So we're in a world where we're trying to figure out how to meet all of our demands of our responsibilities. And oftentimes, because they're, they're psychological stressors, not physical ones, they eat away at us and we ruminate. And then it forces us to be stimulated when we shouldn't be. And if you look at happiness curves. If you look at research on happiness through the lifetime, it's a U-shaped curve because we're relatively happy when we're younger and we're relatively happy when we're older. And I'm talking about 60 and up. We're most miserable when we're in our 40s and 50s. And the reason is that typically, and of course, everybody's situation is a little bit different, but speaking in the broad terms of of statistical analyses of large numbers of people, Mm -hmm. in your 40s and 50s, you're dealing with getting your kids successfully launched into adulthood, you're also possibly dealing with your aging parents going into that world of beginning their decline and adjusting things in their lives, and you're involved in that. But you're also probably, if you've been in one career since your 20s, you're you're really well established in it and you're doing well. So more is being asked of you professionally. And you pile those three things up on top of each other. And it's a wonder anybody in their forties or fifties is not miserable all the time because we're being asked to do all these things all the time. We're not mm-hmm. given any off time pretty much. Mm-hmm. We're told to take it, but we're not given it. So it mm-hmm. means that there's this subconscious like, Oh, Oh yeah. You can take that extra day off, but somebody else might get the promotion kind of, it's almost unwritten into some of the rules of society and certain jobs. And so it's very unfortunate. And I sympathize with people trying to kind of figure it all out. And that, that biology that's in us though that circadian rhythm that where we're it's a constant war between the chemicals in our body that are trying to keep us awake and the ones that are trying to put us to sleep and they they each get to win a little bit each day if everything is in harmony they each get to win a little bit each day and we get tired and we then go oh yeah i'm beginning to sense that my body is preparing for sleep and we just and we willfully go. We just allow the body to do it. But if we're too caught up in something or uh, something I saw a lot during during COVID with people that I was coaching, and this was fascinating, and there's a term for it that I can't remember right now, but it was essentially because you're stuck at home with people all the time and you need your alone time. You're trying to be the last person standing, so to speak. Everybody else goes to bed and then you get to be awake for an hour by yourself and have some alone time because we're all (laughs) just Mm -hmm. um, sort of, surrounded by the people that we live with all the time. And so people were, were delaying their sleep time willfully to get time to themselves because it's the only way they could get it. And so there's a lot of different ways we sort of outsmart ourselves and we don't listen to our physiology telling us that it's time for us to rest and rebuild and repair and recuperate. And we ignore it, and we can get by with a day or two. But then, long term, it creates a very unhealthy state in our physical selves by a lack of repair of our t- tissues, and it creates a brain health problem by having a whole host of uh, systems compromised in the brain. The biggest one is that the brain doesn't clean itself up at night, which it typically exactly. does. That's become much more popularized in the last ten years, and it it happens more. Uh, the brain's internal plumbing system that cleans itself out, so to speak, that happens more commonly in the last half of your sleep night. So the first half of the night is dominated by, a, by more time spent on physical repair. There is a little bit of brain health repair, but the chunks of time when your brain is cleaning itself get larger in your later sleep stages. So if you're sleeping five hours instead of seven, you're doing, a, doing probably more harm for your brain health than you are for your physical health.
0: Yeah, I noticed the last couple hours are, of my sleep are a lot different than my first two hours. And that cerebral spinal fluid really begins to drain out. And there's, there's almost a euphoria in, in the last couple hours of sleep between my body and mind. And there's no pain in my body and my mind is more translucent. And it's not like that you know, when we're unwinding from our daily choices and, and activities.
1: Yeah. There's really no greater performance enhancing drug in the world than a good night's sleep. I mean, honestly, if I've had a couple nights where because of travel or something else, just getting in the way of it. And I get a couple good nights sleep, I feel like, oh, wow, this is what, this is just what every day should feel like, you know, but, um, but yeah, fortunately, most of my adult life, I've been a really good sleeper and I try to coach people to do the same. It's a, it's a super important part of our lives. And one that, that we deny at our peril, if we keep forcing it to to just, ah, no, I want to stay awake and do things. Um, and again, everybody's a little different though. It's really important that people don't feel bad about not getting eight hours. The magic number is around seven and up. So you're if you get under seven, there's very few people that will have optimal health under that. But it's all a bell curve. So there's people that are outliers mm-hmm. and they'll thrive at under six or five. And there's some people that unfortunately might need nine or 10 to feel like they're optimizing health. But for most of us, minimum is about seven hours. You know, the eight is, is kind of maybe a... Per, in a perfect world. But at least as long as we're getting seven, most humans will will uh, find a successful path to health by doing that. And if you're at five and you're stressing hearing me say to get at least seven, find out how to make it five and a half. Don't take a jump from five to seven, because that's that's a lot. That's two hours. Mm-hmm. Just get a little more. Again, it's those little behaviors. It's one day tomorrow that's better than today was incrementally and then a year from now, if I keep doing that often enough, I've got a year where I'm, I'm vastly different in terms of my behavior is where I was today. But if I take off, if I try to change too much, make too big of a change at once, I'll probably stop because it's too overwhelming for me.
0: Yeah, that's a, well said. You know, I had this guy say to me one time, he's like, you know, what do I need sleep for? It has no bearing on, on what I see in the mirror. And I was like, whoa, young man.
1: Yeah, young man's going to say that.
0: Everything (laughs) to do in regard to what you see in the mirror, from your brain's perception and what you're projecting and how much energy your body can produce to keep you healthy. And all of a sudden he's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, if you can't shut it down, it's going to be a lot harder to turn it back on. And it's all part of the process. It's why there's sunrise and sunset. Why there's... High tide and low tide all of these deeper inherited energies that are in our body. You know, it's not about being on all the time. And, thing, you know, it blew me away.
1: Yeah. It, it is funny, but we've all been there. We've all been young yeah. ones. And I, like, one thing I miss about being young is the, is the comfort that comes with everything being simple and black and white. And then you realize right. it's all
0: gray when you get older. It's yeah. Yeah. So how do people, how do people hook up with you? How do people take your classes? How You know, you're a national treasure. You teach all over the country. You're in way up in the hierarchy of the great MedFit Corporation, which is a national corporation incorporating medical fitness and traditional fitness, medical health.
1: All right, there's a couple of ways. Uh, As you can imagine, when you build a fitness program around uh, partner interaction, something like COVID comes along and puts a big stop button up, you know, you kind (laughs) of, that was kind of difficult for me to keep Funtensity going uh, under those circumstances. But what I've done is I've adapted it to more video classes, which I'm not currently offering any video classes at the moment, I've got enough other irons in the fire with other things I'm kind of working on that I don't have the ability to add those. but in my local area, I'm doing little little spot classes here and there, like kind of like one-off things. But there's a lot of exercises you can get just to incorporate the idea. So if someone's looking at how can I do this, there's there's some videos on the website. Just go to funtensity.com. You can also look at funtensity social media. Just use the just use the handle funtensity to look at any of that stuff. If you want to take a deeper dive on some of the concepts and uh, take a video course that I created using a lot of the same concepts that helped me build funtensity. When I launched that in 2017, what I I did is, uh, in late 2021, in December, 2021, I launched an Alzheimer's and brain fitness course. And Mm -hmm. that course has, uh, 12 hours of, it has 12 hours of video, almost 90 exercise videos in it. And it's, it shows you a lot of the concepts that would be, that you might see in a funtensity workout, but it's kind of shown you, it's showing you how to do it at, at levels that are, less challenging for people that need those levels but then there's also opportunities to ramp up the intensity but you'll also see real people doing the exercises and again there's almost 90 exercise videos if you want to see a lot of the intensity concepts i actually infuse them into that course as well uh, but that's an educational course you'll learn a lot about brain health in general how to keep your brain healthy the the best news ever is that the most significant behaviors uh, or the most significant factors in keeping the brain healthy are the ones that are mostly in your control. Yes, we can't control getting older and all that, but we can control Mm -hmm. physical activity, sleep, stress, our social connections, our nutrition. And those are the most valuable things in terms of maintaining not just a healthy body, but a brain. I'll just add this last little concept because intensity is sort of the short term approach to making exercise so appealing now that you show up often enough to get the body benefits because it doesn't matter if you skip today's workout. Like I said, if I give you an experience that helps you change how you think and feel about exercise, if I give you a single experience that changes how you feel, you'll show up for the ones that will change your body. Because changing your body takes a little longer. But if you're more interested in long-term brain health, you can still use the same concepts because the brain training integrated with fitness training, that's part of the Funtensity concept and also part of my Alzheimer's and brain fitness specialist course is designed to make your brain function better now, but also give you long-term protection against degenerative brain disease.
0: Wow. So we'll have a link where folks can check FunTensity and Jonathan Ross out. I learned so much over the last hour. Thank you so much. And I look forward to brighter and better days ahead, Jonathan. Thanks for joining us.
1: You're welcome. And everyone listening, thank you for giving Ed and I the gift of your time and attention. And I I hope you found something valuable in here. And just start with one thing. If you heard something that spoke to you, uh, because the body that you live in deep into the future is going to start with the habits that you begin to develop today. And the only way to do it is just to start with something small and then just repeat over time.
0: Hey, guys, Jonathan walks the walk. He's one of the all-time greats. Check him out. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.